because my mind was spent 95% of the time thinking about food. There's no way I could do what I'm doing for a living now if I was still engaging those behaviors. Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. Hey everyone, welcome to the show this week. I hope you all had an awesome weekend and I'm glad that you are here to join me for this episode. First of all, I know that many places are in lockdown or going into lockdown right now. So I just wanted to first say that I feel so much for all of the small businesses, small business owners out there, people that rely on small businesses for their jobs and their well-being, knowing that this is a really tough time and a really tough decision that the government keeps asking us to put on more and more restrictions as COVID numbers go up. It's certainly not a position that I envy by any means because it's weighing public safety versus the economy and viability of people's businesses. So how do you possibly put value on those two things in a way that makes any sense? So, you know, mostly what I want to say is to everyone is just make sure that you continue to take care of your mental health right now. We know that a huge part of that comes back to our habits. Personally, for me, I know that my habits are very closely tied into that and making sure that I am continuing to move. I am continuing to nourish myself in a way that feels good. And it can be even harder at this time of the year when days are so short and we can't go outside as much. Like those things are just naturally more challenging. But I think it's important that we lean into them right now because at least in Toronto, we are facing another four weeks on lockdown and who knows what happens after that, you know, for more of a long term, we can cross our fingers on these new vaccines that are being developed and it seems like things are trending in a good direction on those, but it's really out of our control. So lean into your habits, lean into the things that make you feel good and, you know, we're all going to get through this one as well. The good news is that I am really looking forward to sharing this episode with everyone. It's been a little bit since we talked about intuitive eating and we talked about disordered eating. It's a topic that I like to bring up every couple of months or so because it's very near and dear to my heart, considering the challenges that I went through for so many years with my eating disorder and subsequent disordered eating and struggles that I had and sometimes still have surrounding body image. So I was really excited to have Victoria come on the podcast because I've been listening to Victoria's podcast for quite a while now. And the ideas that she shares in her podcast absolutely have helped me work through some challenging residual effects that I've had from my eating disorder recovery. So I think Victoria is awesome. I love how passionate she is about intuitive eating. I love the way that she shares about it in a way that's very approachable. 
So this is a really exciting episode for me to share with everyone. And also I think it's important and very timely because we are moving into the holiday season. And I think for those of us that have struggled with disordered relationships, with food, exercise, our physical bodies, that the holidays can be an especially triggering, challenging, and stressful time. Obviously, there's so many reasons why the holiday season is the best, but strictly in relation to some of those struggles, I know it can be a challenging time. So I think this episode comes at a good time, and I hope that it helps you to set some intentions for yourself as you move into the holiday season. As I've said, Victoria Myers is my guest this week, and she is the dietitian and owner of the Virtual Private Practice and online education center called Nourishing Minds Nutrition. Victoria and her staff specialize in empowering women to ditch diets, regulate hormones, heal digestion, and learn to practice wellness without obsession. She is also the host of the popular intuitive eating and wellness podcast, the Nourishing Women podcast. Her mission for her community is to help women let go of the unhealthy obsession with eating healthy, make peace with their body, and live their lives to the fullest. Victoria is someone that we can all learn something from when it comes to intuitive eating. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Victoria Myers. Hi, Victoria. Welcome to the How Do You Feel podcast. I am very grateful for you coming on the show today and really looking forward to this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute honor, and I'm super looking forward to this conversation too. Awesome. Love to hear it. Okay. First of all, um, I would love to just chat about dietetics in general. Dietetics tends to be very focused on dieting, meal plans, restriction in general. That's the perception that I have of the field. I'm interested in how your approach to nutrition is a little bit different than that. (laughs) It's different in all the ways. That's why I'm laughing (laughs) when you say that. I think your, your perception of dietetics is spot on. And that's super unfortunate to me because I think we've just so lost what true health and wellness and nutrition should be about. And it's so sad, but at the same time, it also is kind of an empowering thing to know that there's dietitians like myself, we call ourselves non-diet or anti-diet dietitians that we're really trying to change things. We're really trying to propel the movement in a different way. The dietetics feels so like when I look back, when I, I went to school a while ago, I've been a dietitian now I'm in my ninth or 10th year. I can never remember which one, but, uh, I've been in this field for a while. And when I was in school, it was very much centered and what I hear from people is still very much centered on, as you described, like very much like about the calories you tell people, what diet they should be on, how much macronutrients, very numbers oriented and very weight driven. So this mm-hmm. idea of weight equaling health is honestly, it's kind of like the, the epitus of what dietetics is all about is like how to make people as thin as possible and how to control your food as much as possible. 
So it makes sense to me when I look back now, realizing that, of course, I became super disordered with my own food choices when I was in dietetic school, because that's what I was being taught. And I felt like I had to be that perfect dietitian and, and follow the advice I was giving others. So no wonder I spiraled so quickly into that disordered mindset and, and the healthy obsession with eating healthy. But I really think, like I mentioned just a bit ago, there's such a huge shift happening right now. And there's a lot of dietitians like myself who are realizing that diets don't work. And this method that we've been using to try to help people pursue health, because anyone who goes into the dietetics fields, we're doing because we care about people. It's not like we are bad people, but we just had a narrow perception, I think of what health is. And that's really starting to shift and change and being about whole body wellness, emotional well-being, intuitive eating, health at every size. There's a big shift changing. And I am obviously very, very happy about it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's interesting. Why do you think that this dieting mentality has been so sticky in the field? Like, I feel like there's been evidence circulating for at least a decade that's been indicating that diets don't really work. Many people have personal experiences that say that diets don't really work, yet it's still part of all these formal education programs. It's very much the, the standard way of thinking. Why do you think that is? It's probably complicated. I mean, from my perception, I think a huge, massive reason why that is, is diet culture is the system of beliefs that profits off of us all thinking and believing this way. And I think the dietetics field is likely very caught up in that. I mean, I think there are certain companies and corporations that profit off of the dietetics idea of, you know, tell people eat this, don't eat that you should have this specific weight. And I think it's all caught up in that. I think the medical community as a whole though, is caught up. It's not just dietetics. I mean, it's this mm. entire medical system very much has this idea of weight equaling health. And basically like all your health be all your health comes to the behaviors of your food and exercise alone, which is so unfortunate because it misses so many huge hallmarkers of health, like inequity, social justice, um, race, gender. I mean, there's so many things that impact our health that we really have missed the mark on. So I think it's, I think it's really complicated. I don't know if I could say everything for sure why, but I, I do think it's diet culture and that we are caught up all in that. And just as a medical community, we are really caught up in this idea of weight equaling health and that like everything you do is based off of your food and exercise. There is such a deeply ingrained belief in our culture, which is perpetrated by diet culture, that your weight is linked to your health. And your weight is an indicator of how healthy you are. Can you tell us about why that's actually not the case and not true? Yeah, it is like everything. And I'm sure someone listening is going to be like, and it sounds like your listeners are like aware maybe of intuitive eating and they're aware of disordered eating. But most people, when they hear this idea, even of health at every size, they are so caught off guard. So like, can't believe as a dietitian, I would ever say to someone, I mean, the comments you can get are kind of mind blowing how much people think it's like rude even to say that that would be true. But yeah, I, so as a dietitian, I call myself, like I said, a non-diet dietitian that practices intuitive eating, I believe in health at every size, which basically comes down to this idea and paradigm that you can practice health at every size. So you have the right to pursue health at every size. It doesn't necessarily mean that we are healthy at any size, but but there is a huge diversity and range of body sizes that can be healthy. And we have this idea that, you know, being thin is really the only thing that 
creates healthiness, but we also know a ton of thin people can be super unhealthy too. So why can't we look at it from a different perspective of bigger body sizes could also be healthy. If we know thin bodies can be unhealthy, bigger bodies could also be healthy in the same perspective. Um, I also think it's important to know that just because there's correlation, that doesn't equal causation. There's so many reasons that I think research is still trying to discover and research can also be very, you know, caught up in diet culture too. The industries mm -hmm. are often the ones that are creating the research that supports this idea that obesity is the cause of like any and all problems in our world. But yeah, I mean, I think we need more research on that. We need more research on weight stigma and how that impacts our health too. So again, just because there's correlation, that doesn't necessarily mean there's causation. The idea with health at every size is we're just telling people you have the right to pursue health at any size that you are at, you have that right. And we want to encourage people to know that like they are allowed to feel that way in their bodies. Mm -hmm. That was an important distinction that you just made there about how health at every size and this, this movement, it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone is healthy at any size, right? I think that's a really important thing because I think when people first hear health at every size, they think that you're saying that it has no correlation to the size of your body. But what are some of the factors that determine sort of what your optimal body size or range of body size might be because it's different for everyone, right? It is different for everybody. We call it the set point theory. So set point is a, it's actually a weight range. It's like 10 to 15 pounds that your body can comfortably be at without exerting food control, manipulating mm -hmm. your body, not forcing or punishing yourself with exercise. So basically without engaging in dieting or disordered behaviors, that would be what your set point is. It's your natural body size, not maybe what you want to force it or what you <laughs> want to try to make it to be, but what your body is naturally comfortable at. There's a lot of factors that go into it. We go in depth inside of our online course on intuitive eating, some of the main factors that would help you know that you're at your set point. But some of the main ones that come to mind for me right now are, you know, actively practicing the 10 principles of intuitive eating that does include joyful movement and gentle nutrition. But you can hear from the way I describe those is joyful movement and gentle nutrition, not these absolute rigid ways of practicing health. It's also, you know, considering things like your sleep habits, your stress, your uh, relationships, your, um, you know, the money that we make, like so many factors go into our health. I think it's important to know, again, it's not just your health habits. They definitely matter. They definitely help you have better health, but it's not just those things. There's so many things that go into what creates good health. And like I mentioned earlier, weight stigma is something we need to even consider as far as like how, if someone believes they are unhealthy, that's going to impact their health outcomes. So, uh, but just again, some ideas would be practicing intuitive eating, not actively engaging in any dieting behaviors because what we know from research is as you engage more in dieting behaviors, the likelihood of your weight increasing is, you know, 40%, you know, that increases with every diet. So um, some of those things could give you some peace of mind of knowing, you know, if you stop dieting, make peace with your now body, practice intuitive eating, you know, practice joyful movement, gentle nutrition, and know that things like sleep and stress, um, you know, having good health overall, like meaning you have a period, you, you know, things like that, those things that are a little bit bigger picture of your health, those are all things that are going to help you know that you're at your set point. Mm -hmm. Joyful movement and gentle nutrition. I love that. And I think it's very important for people that are interested in fitness to hear 
Because often in the fitness world, we get very regimented about a certain style of training and a certain kind of movement being the best and strength training, for example, being optimal at a certain load of your, your max weight or your max effort. It's interesting to kind of like zoom out and just think like, are you enjoying the way that you're moving? There is so much evidence that shows that it doesn't really matter how you move your body. Even gentle walking can have awesome effects on your health outcomes. It doesn't have to be so regimented. And so I think to just say joyful movement, that's an umbrella term that can include so many different things. And, and considering the emotional side, I feel like is also so key with that. Well, as someone that is, you know, a fitness, you're a fitness instructor, right? That's like what you do. Yeah, so I've been a, I've been a trainer for a long time and now I'm actually a fitness educator full time, but so this cool. is the world that I live in. Yeah. Okay. But Casey, that's amazing. I just get giddy with excitement thinking of fitness educators like yourself teaching this idea of like, Hey, it doesn't have to be this one way. It's what, what is sustainable in the long term, right? Like what will help you continue to be active throughout your entire lifespan? It's not the, the load or like how much, you know, minutes per day that you exercise it's, but you know, the weeks, the months, the years that really count of us just being active. And I love that. And it's so, so nice to hear a fitness educator like yourself saying something like that, because I, I know my perception sometimes of fitness and it's definitely changing as it is in the dietetics field, but my perceptions often like it's almost like too rigid to even follow some people because I'm like, well, I, I can't do that. Or that doesn't sound fun for me. And then, then it's like, well, then you can't have health or you can't have fitness is what you're being told. So kudos to you. That's incredible to hear. Thanks. I appreciate that. And I agree with you. I think there's a long way to go in the fitness industry, just like we've been talking about in the field of dietetics. And um, I think we have similar experiences, sort of parallel experiences, and that the way that I was taught at first in the fitness industry, very, very much fed into my challenges with body image and what led to an eating disorder. And, and, and I had to sort of unlearn what my formal education and fitness taught me. So um, I think there's definitely a long way to go there, but I wanna, I wanna touch on um, intuitive eating a little bit more. People that I talk to and clients that I work with are often a little bit afraid of intuitive eating because I think women have been taught and people in general, but I say women because I, I think it's a little harder for women they've been taught that they need to control what they eat and their natural instincts aren't right when it comes to food and we shouldn't trust our intuition. So people are a little bit fearful. How would you explain to someone or help someone come to that place where they can trust their intuition in regards to what they're eating again? Oh, I love this question so much and you worded it perfectly. I mean, I think people are genuinely so scared and afraid of intuitive eating. The factors as to why that is are so many. I think one of the biggest ones is that we're scared of weight gain, if we're being honest, right? Like that's usually when people hear about intuitive eating, they're scared that they're going to gain weight, which could could be something that happens to you. But I think it's so important to know that just because you're scared of something or just because you experience fear or feel fear rather, doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. I mean, so many times in our lives, we're going to feel fear about something that is aligning something we should do. It's just scary because there's unknown. It feels out of control. So I would personally say you got to hug that fear and still like face it head on because that just means it's something that is important to you and that you should do and know that fear would be a normal emotion to feel about intuitive eating. As I mentioned, you're unlearning 
all that you've ever known about dieting. I mean, I think for most women, as you said, like we've learned from basically the beginning of our lives that we should diet, we should control food, that we should look a specific type of way with our body. So it makes sense that letting go of all that feels really challenging, but the best thing I can say to, to not only face fear head on, like I said, and just trust your intuition is educating yourself. I think there's so much mishap information out there about intuitive eating. So many people don't know that it's like an evidence-based paradigm is created by two dietitians. There's 10 principles. There's over 120 studies to back it up. So it's not just like this idea of quote unquote, eat intuitively. It's actually really deep and nuanced. And I think that would be the best way. I, I mean, I think that's true of so much, right? Like knowledge is power. But to me, if you feel fearful of it, number one, it's normal. Don't like beat yourself up for that Two, give fear a big hug and still do it anyways. And number three, use education to ignite that uh, that decision to move past the fear, uh, because education can really make sure that you have a thorough understanding of intuitive eating and not just like going about these ideas that are often promoted on social media, like eat intuitively or just eat whatever you want. It's a lot more than just those things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely. The way that you're talking about fear and the approach to it is reminding me of the founder of the company that I work for gave a keynote this past weekend. And he talked about how we all have energy and you can choose to filter that energy through either a courage filter or a fear filter, but it's the same in the beginning. So the way that you're talking about embracing your fear, I think there, I think there's something there. It's telling you that like, there's an energy there. There's something there for you to lean into. There's a reason that you're having these intense emotions towards this thing. How can you rewind hold on to that energy and refilter it through what would be a courage filter. And I think the way that you're talking about gaining knowledge and gaining an understanding of what the principles are, I think can really help you to sort of refilter that energy. Yeah. I so appreciate you saying that. I I love that the idea of using courage to do it instead. And yeah, I mean, intuitive eating is just, it's just so much more in this idea of eat intuitively. So I really hope someone listening, like really gets this message drove home to them that if you feel lost with intuitive eating, a huge part of that could just be simply because you you're like seeing something on Instagram saying it's just, you know, eat whatever you want, or it's, um, listen to your body, but it's actually a lot more than just those things. And if it's feeling complicated or overwhelmed, there is a way to get out of that. And that's through education. Yeah. I think that's really important for people to hear as well. Victoria, it's really interesting. I've been thinking about beliefs that have been ingrained in us for a long time, a lot recently, just like this concept of, of how beliefs that we don't even realize are there dictate our choices. And I was thinking about it in regards to food. And some of the beliefs that I still have, and I'm still working to unpack about what is a healthy food and what is an unhealthy food or what in my mind triggers like a good food or a bad food. And I I think I've come a very long way. Like I realized that I was eating, you know, bread the other day. And that that at one point that was, that was something that I thought unhealthy or bad, but then there are other things where, like I said something to my husband, I was like, I'd just rather have a healthier meal tonight. And he was like, well, what about this is unhealthy? Like, can you explain that to me? And I was like, oh, actually, I think that was just a belief that I imposed on you. And and I'm glad that you challenged me on that because I don't know. So I think they're just like so deeply ingrained, these beliefs that we have. I'm curious if, if as I say that, there's anything that you think of as like, I used to have this belief around food and now I've changed it to kind of this belief about food. 
Mm, yeah. I mean, I think so many of us can relate to that. Of course I can too, because I had a similar story where I too struggled with disordered eating. I think reframing thoughts can be so empowering. And that would be the way I would look at any like old beliefs. Like I too would believe bread was unhealthy. I mean, I think as with anyone in like 2020, I, this new decade of dieting is all about carbs and like villainizing <laughs> carbs, right? So that's what I'm yeah. thinking over here is like carbs in general. So that would be sweets, desserts, bread, pasta. Those were definitely an old belief that I used to have that I should not eat those foods because it was unhealthy or it was bad for me or is quote unquote inflammatory. So reframing those thoughts is carbs are essential. They help me feel my best. I thrive. I actually feel significantly better because I eat carbs now. Um, yeah. So reminding myself of those things can be really helpful. And also just reminding yourself, like something I always share with my clients is actions will change before thoughts do this idea that mm-hmm. all your thoughts will go away. It's probably not fair to think that that will happen for quite a while because they're ingrained into us. They're, they're there for a really long time. So instead mm-hmm. of beating yourself up that you have this thought of like, oh, I want a healthier meal. It's like, okay, well, that's interesting. Why do I feel that way? What makes a certain food healthy and unhealthy? With intuitive eating, we try to encourage this idea that all foods are emotionally equivalent. So instead of being guided to make food decisions because it's healthy or unhealthy, it's about what sounds pleasurable and satisfying and filling and delicious to you to eat. And I think because of that, we can be guided towards the foods that are best in our physical and mental body. Um, And another example of a reframe that I'll use is instead of thinking of foods as unhealthy or unhealthy, we'll use terms like nourishing or uh, again, satisfying, pleasurable, because the truth is chocolate chip cookies and a kale salad can both be pleasurable and satisfying. So instead Mm -hmm. of thinking, of it as like good and bad. It's more about, okay, well, what about this do we enjoy eating and what are you actually in the mood for? Because if you're in the mood for a chocolate chip cookie and you're forcing yourself to eat a kale salad, like that is not going to do the trick. (laughs) So I think just thinking of things like that to reframe your thoughts can be like so, so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I love that concept of being able to start with the action and that you can, you can kind of backtrack, even if you have the thought that doesn't match the action you want to take, you can still take that action. And hopefully over time that will start to influence your thoughts. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And again, just knowing that like, you're not a bad person. If you still have those thoughts, extremely normal because they are so ingrained. The idea here is more to not let it dictate your actions and learn how to reframe those negative thoughts. Yeah. 100%. Can you tell us about a specific light bulb moment that you can think of that you had that led you to realize that diets actually don't work? Hmm. Yeah, I can. I can think of one specific in my personal experience. It was after my honeymoon. So leading up to my wedding the entire year prior, I heavily restricted. It was kind of my, as I look back now, it was my last hoorah with dieting. Mm -hmm. I restricted pretty heavily for an entire year. And so sadly I spent my wedding day and my entire honeymoon basically binge eating because I'd been so heavily restricting. And I came back from my honeymoon and just I remember being in the bed and waking up and being like, gosh, there has got to be another way. There has to be a better way to live my life. And I think what's helped me to change my belief that diets don't work is just seeing in my own personal experience. And I'm sure so many people listening can relate to this, but it wasn't working. Like all that was happening was 
I would diet heavily and then I would go crazy eating all the things. And I was on this constant restrict binge pendulum that never went away. And I always never felt enough. So even when I was at my thinnest, I was still so unhappy in my body and just having those realizations and just seeing, gosh, like after, you know, reaching my goal weight for my wedding, all I wanted to do was eat. Like that's my memories of my wedding and honeymoon. Mm -hmm. This isn't right. Like there has to be another way. And I'm so grateful that the internet exists because I shortly thereafter found a blog talking about intuitive eating and the rest is history. Oh, awesome. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I think weddings can definitely be very, uh, very triggering events as far as the, the restriction that people engage in leading up to them. But what happens is that when we restrict for a long period of time, it's so natural for us to go t- towards this sort of binge eating phase. And it'll last different amounts of time for different people, obviously. But I think people harbor so much guilt around that, around you know, I couldn't stick with my diet or they place the blame on themselves. And I think for me, a very, very liberating piece was to realize that my binge eating was a result of the restriction that I was engaging in. And it wasn't my fault that it was happening. It was my brain. It was my biology kicking in and saying, I need more nourishment, you know? And so I feel like that was a very freeing thing to realize. Yes. Again, it comes back to like that idea of knowledge is power, right? When I started learning about intuitive eating, I read about, and now I I teach this for a living is it's not loss of willpower. It is your actual biological survival mechanisms kicking in. That's why you feel so preoccupied, fixated on food. That's why you maybe feel very intense hunger and craving signals. It's nothing you're doing wrong. And it's everything your body's trying to do protect you and honestly say, I love you. I need more fuel over here. I'm just trying to survive in the state I'm being in, which is the state of Sydney starvation, which is what we're never told that dieting is, it's a state of semi-starvation. And there's you know research that shows that can be really detrimental, not only to our physical health, but to our mental health as well. Yeah. And I think it's interesting how long those effects can last as well. Like I, I haven't been actively engaging in any sort of dieting or like what I would classify as disordered eating for years, but I think there are still some things that are still slowly falling away of like this fear of scarcity in my brain and the way that I approach food and just like not feeling completely settled. And I don't think that's something I realized was happening last year. For example, I think my awareness is just um, increased on that, but I think it's still residual from years and years of really intense restriction. And, and just like, I'm still, I'm still neutralizing my feelings around food. And so it's, it's definitely quite a journey. Yeah, really goes to show this idea that it's a journey, not a destination. And again, why people struggle or can struggle so much with this is because it's not like a diet where you're told what to eat and not to eat for three months. You get this, you know, X amount of weight loss that you're told that you can get, which most people don't get. But anyways, intuitive eating is so opposite, right? It's like years and years of unlearning all the thoughts and behaviors and all these things that we were told and constantly learning to engage in the world in a different way. Mm -hmm. But it affects every part of the way that you engage with the world, doesn't it? I mean, Mm -hmm. the skills that I've learned and the amount that I've improved my mental and emotional health and become more in touch with my body and my emotions has permeated every single piece of my life. So the work is not only in the relationship with food. 
That's my favorite part about this work. Don't you think so, Casey? Like I love, don't get me wrong. Like I love that I have the joy of eating back and that I can eat all foods with such pleasure and enjoyment. And that food is just a wonderful part of my life. It's not stressful or anxiety provoking anymore. But what I love the most is that like, it helped me go do, like, I have such mind body knowledge to understand what I need, how to engage in the world, how to be a good mom, how to take care of Mm -hmm. myself, how to be a good business owner, how to like chase my dreams. And I like wholeheartedly believe I would have never been able to do those things if I didn't practice intuitive eating because my mind was spent 95% of the time thinking about food. There's no way I could do what I'm doing for a living now if I was still engaging those behaviors. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's a result of simply, like you're saying, spending so much of your mental energy thinking about what's not good enough, what you need to change, what you can't trust. Like I, my confidence from that was so low because obviously it was very closely tied to my body image, but I was spending so much time thinking about what's not right with me, whether it was directly in relation to my body or the way that I was eating. Yeah. It just doesn't, it doesn't free up enough space for you to, as a person, grow into who you are supposed to be and really flourish into, you know, all of your potential and everything that you can do. Yeah. And if you're so focused on what's wrong with yourself instead of what is right and what potential you do have, Mm -hmm. like, again, how are you supposed to go do the things you're, you were put here to do in this world? If you're so focused on the negative aspects of yourself. Yeah. Body image is another really challenging one. It's all obviously so closely tied to disordered eating and eating disorders. Mm -hmm. It's a tough one for people to unpack because again, it's just, it's just this very intensely ingrained belief system for people. And even if they consciously say, I don't want to place so much worth on the way my body looks, we have a very hard time actually doing it. How do you coach people through that process of having a more positive body image, no matter what the size of their body Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. And I couldn't agree more. I think it's so important to know that body image is much deeper and complicated and nuanced of a journey than even your relationship with food can be. Mm -hmm. I personally think, you know, even the negative thoughts you have towards food can go away within maybe like a year or two, you know, that's going to depend on how how much you have a past with disordered relationship with food, but body stuff tends to last and linger for years. I mean, I still will consistently have negative body image beliefs. It's just that I can engage in it in a different way. I don't let it dictate how I feel about myself. I can recognize it for what it is. Oh, I'm just having a negative body image day. Like that's what that is. I don't have to actually like go do things. So I just think that's really, really important to know that body image is a lot deeper and nuanced than that alone. I personally like to teach and practice for myself and also like teach others, my clients and online course students, instead of this idea of love and positivity, practicing body respect, because the truth is, is you don't have to love your body to respect it. You can still treat it with dignity and compassion, no matter what your body looks like. And I think that's really important to know because I do get the impression that a lot of people are like waiting to take care of themselves or waiting to practice better Mm -hmm. body image, thinking that they have to wait till they like love their physical body. And the truth is, is that for some people based off of traumas and experiences in the fat phobia world that we live in, you may never feel that way. And I think it's unfair to say that you have to wait for that. Again, to me, the idea is more learning to practice body respect, no matter what your body looks like. Yeah. It it feels much more approachable, doesn't it? And it's, it's more like saying I do deserve this. And as a human, I am worth this and it doesn't require, you know, beautiful, positive feelings of love towards your body all the time, because 
yeah, like you're saying, you know what, it, it's so, it's so deeply ingrained that those things, yeah, might, might never fully go away, but managing the thoughts and managing what comes up, I feel like is, is a big piece. Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I wish it was, it was true to say for everyone, like, yeah, you can like totally say that you love every part of your body and, yeah. you know, grab your stomach rolls and say how much you love them. <laughs> but what I've learned, the more I've done this work, cause I remember in the, in the beginning when I, used to teach on body image education. I definitely had that belief because I felt that way. And I do genuinely feel that way. Most times mm-hmm. I also share though, I still have negative body image days. It's not like it's 100%. Nothing is perfection in this work or in anything like that matter. Um, so I used to teach that way, but what I've learned from doing this work for more and more years is that a lot of people don't have the goal to get there. A lot of people that feels unattainable for the reasons that I shared earlier. So I think instead of trying to teach to everyone, like how to explain your love for your body, it's knowing that you should treat it well, no matter what it looks like and treat it with that dignity and compassion that I shared. Yeah. 100%. When you think about diet culture and what women are taught about their bodies, do you think about your daughter and the way that you want her to grow up in the world? Literally every day, all day. (laughs) I think that's, um, my biggest motivator It's so interesting. I thought becoming a mom, I was scared. I wouldn't love my business as much, but the truth is, is I love it tenfold more because Mm -hmm. I have such a deep motive now. It's like, gosh, if I can change how I treat myself, how I have a relationship with myself, my body, my food choices, my exercise habits, imagine what I can do for my daughter. Because if there's something I've learned from working with women over the years is that Every woman, unfortunately, likely has a mother or a grandmother or an aunt or sister that was dieting around them and that taught them how to diet. So from what I've seen clinically, most people learn how to diet from their family members that they're surrounded by. So knowing that and just knowing that like I could change that story for my daughter, like that, that's everything. Like that's why I wake up every day and I'm like, gosh, if we can change this for generations, I don't know if that will happen in my daughter's generation, but maybe in two or three generations, we can actually like be done with this for once and for all. And imagine like the wonderful things we as women can do when we're done spending all of our time, wasting all of our energy, engaging in that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's so beautiful. You almost made me tear up when you're just saying like, it makes you that much more passionate about what you're doing. Um, it really, it really has a true a true purpose that hits home. It sounds like so. Yeah. And I think whether or not you're a mother, I think we can all relate to that idea, right? Of like the women around us, the people around us, most people we know have struggled in some capacity with their body image or dieting behaviors. And gosh, just this idea that we could get out of that. It's just, it's everything to me. I think that's what I'm sure Casey for you too. It's just like, gosh, if I could teach people to engage in fitness in a way that isn't about manipulating or changing their body, but just appreciating their bodies and like celebrating their bodies like that, that's, that's everything. And also we will be so much healthier as like a community and a collective whole, if we can just do things because we want to celebrate and engage with our bodies and be connected to them, not disconnected and hateful and, um, you know, distrusting our intuition. Like there's just so much power that like we could connect people to. The difference between working with a client who's coming from a place of celebrating what they can do and being proud of moving and being joyful when they're in the gym and moving and not putting these crazy expectations on themselves versus the person who is trying to lose weight or very concerned about changing their body in some way. It's night and day. 
one, you're, you feel like you're impacting someone's life. And if, and if I, I always try to teach my clients to, to approach things from that way, the other, it just, it feels like, it feels like you're both there to complete a chore. Like it, it, oh. the, the effects that fitness can have are not percolating into the other parts of their lives. When you are simply thinking about how many calories have I burned? Have I done enough reps? Did I do enough weight? All of these things that just like, don't matter. Oh gosh. You like giving me goosebumps over here. Like I just, it gets me so excited. I can tell it does for you too. I'm like, we, <laughs> yeah. we can actually change things y'all it's happening. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. How has being a mom changed you? Oh gosh, it changed me so much. I mean, I still feel like I'm like learning how it changed me. I mean, every day is a battle. I shared with uh, Casey y'all before we hit record, I did not sleep last night, but, um, it's just the ever evolving journey of being a mom. So that's some of the ways it's changed me is you got to practice mm-hmm. Uh, compassion that you don't have control over your life or schedule. It's actually <laughs> been a wonderful learning lesson for me because I'm definitely mm-hmm. like most of us that engage with disorder behaviors was a control freak type mm-hmm. A. So it's been a wonderful lesson in that. But I think I've just become such a softer version of myself, but also stronger in a lot of ways too. I think I have so much more resilience and I don't spend my time wasting my energy thinking about things that don't matter. I feel like I'm very, since I have such a limited time and energy, those are my two resources that can be lacking sometimes as a mom and business owner. I try to wholeheartedly spend the time and energy I do have doing things that are really impactful and really matter to me. But yeah, it's changed everything. And like I said, I mean, I used to only live my life to work because obviously, as you can tell, I'm very passionate about my job. But I feel like now I am so much more motivated at the same time. I now live my life to like, be with my family. So I feel like even that shifted and changed for me recently. It's like, it's not just about that anymore. There's such a deeper, impactful thing in my life that matters even more than, you know, changing the world and how we view our bodies, which is so important to me. But again, my family is more my reason for being these Mm days. I'm not a mom yet, but I imagine that it focuses you on what to prioritize and what really matters like nothing else can that that's what I picture it's just like all the bullshit that you could waste your time and energy on and honestly I did I did I used to think I was like so productive but it's interesting like before we did this recording I had exactly two hours to get it done all the things I need to get done for the day because after we're, we're done with this my nana leaves and then it's just me for the rest of the day I mean I can plug things out now so it's interesting, even that changes because I used to just waste hours and hours thinking I was being productive. So it's interesting, even like the small yeah. little things that change and yeah, I can, I can get things done now. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. That's amazing. They say that if you have a task that you, and then you have five hours to do it, you'll take five hours. If you have one hour to do it, you'll take one hour. So set yourself up for like, this is how much time I have, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. We're moving into the holiday season. And this can be a very challenging time for people that have stress in relation to food. And, you know, maybe people, I don't know with COVID, but maybe people probably will still be traveling. And when you're out of your own home and for a lot of my clients out of the gym, it can, it can just feel stressful to, to feel that, that lack of control. What advice would you give people as they sort of move into the holiday season, as far as their approach and intention with food and movement? Oh goodness. I think it's just so, so important to even think this way because most of us do go about the holiday season the same way we do every year, which is either, I think people can either 
get even more restrictive in nature and they can just, you know, really try to grip with all the control and bring their own food and not enjoy the holiday celebrations, or they kind of go crazy eating all the things, just having this idea of mindset, they can start over in the new Mm. year. So I think a middle ground approach and just knowing that intuitive eating can guide you to really enjoying the holiday season. Something we share about, and this actually is bringing to mind something I can share with you is we have a free ebook that's called the holiday survival guide. And it's all about how to use intuitive eating during the holiday season to really celebrate and enjoy the holiday season. So I'll make sure I'll I'll give that to you so you can include that in the show notes. But, um, I think it's just so important to know that like, it doesn't have to be either, or you can just use intuitive eating and really just, you know, try to focus on what feels good in your body. Something we share about in the ebook is this idea of, well, set intentions with yourself. How do you want to feel during the holiday season? What do you want to enjoy? What do you want to look back about and be able to say that you were able to participate or engage with? And then also opposite. How do you not want to feel? Mm -hmm. I know for me, I don't want to feel as if I don't want to feel the way I used to feel when I was dieting. And I would look at everyone else enjoying all the food and just be, you know, thinking about it all the time because I wasn't letting myself have it. So I would rather enjoy the food, but also be able to move on and just enjoy the conversations and the celebrations with loved ones. That's probably the most important thing about the holiday season is that time that we get. And of course it will look different this year because of the pandemic, but yeah, I think set intentions with yourself. I'll make sure to send you the uh, holiday ebook so they can grab that as well, but just know that like, it doesn't have to be either, or you can find something that's more about really celebrating the special time of the year, food included, but also know that like this time of the year, isn't just about the food. And the reason you probably feel so preoccupied about the food is because you're not letting yourself have it in the first place. Absolutely. And I've, that sounds like a great resource. So we will definitely direct people towards that. Victoria, we're coming up on the conclusion of the episode, but before we sign off, do you have any final words or thoughts that you would like to share with the listeners? First of all, just, you know, thank you so much for having me. You're a wonderful podcast host. I love the types of questions that you asked, but um, my, my advice would be just know that you matter and your thoughts and your words and your life experiences and what you have to do in the world truly matters. I am such a big believer that letting go of the unhealthy obsession with eating healthy and letting go of the dieting disorder behaviors will allow you to become the person you're meant to be and really be a part of the world in a really meaningful way. So know that you matter and that working through this, even though it can be challenging and confusing and bring up fear and all these emotions that we talked about is so worthwhile because you matter. Fantastic. I love that. If people want to find you, find your blog or your podcast or get in touch with you, what are the best ways that they can go about doing that? Yeah. So we have lots of different places you can come hang out with me. One of those is Victoria Myers blog. We post new blog posts every week. We also have a podcast, the Nourishing Women podcast. We host two episodes a week. One's a solo episode of me and one's a guest episode. And then we have the Nourishing Women community, which is a free Facebook group for the podcast and support group for that. Um, And then lastly, a, a huge place where you can directly contact me is Instagram. So I have two accounts. One of them's my practice and online education education center, which is at nourishing minds, nutrition. And then my personal account is at Victoria Myers underscore. And I love, love, love connecting directly with people via DMS. I'll talk to you via voice memo. I love getting to know people directly. It's so important to me to know like who you are and um, how I can help you. So yeah, that would be all the places and I'll make sure to send all that stuff to you as well. 
Fantastic. Yeah, we'll definitely get all of that linked up in the show notes. And just so everyone knows, I'm a big fan of Victoria's podcast. So I highly recommend that you go check that out. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much, Casey. Of course. Well, thank you so much, Victoria. This has been fantastic. Thank you for your openness and sharing all your thoughts with the listeners. It was super valuable. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to How Do You Feel? If you're enjoying what you're hearing, Please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Rate and review the podcast. Those ratings and reviews really do go a long way. I appreciate them all so much. Better yet, share the podcast with a friend or family member that you think would benefit from the messages that we talk about on How Do You Feel? All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. I hope everyone has a great week. And as always, remember, get out there and do something that makes you feel good today.